0: Welcome back to The Author Biz. I'm Stephen Campbell, and this is the show where we deliver the information you need to become the CEO of your author business. This week's show covers a favorite topic of mine, your email list, and we'll cover it from the basics of why you should have one to the specifics of things like how often you should send to your list and why. This week's guest is Larissa Reynolds. She's an email marketing guru who enjoys nothing more than helping authors make the most of their relationship with readers through their email lists. This show is packed with useful information. In fact, I wound up keeping two sets of notes while Larissa and I were were talking. One of the notebooks held my usual follow-up questions that pop into my mind while I'm chatting with a guest. But the second one, I was scribbling down things that I needed to do to improve the the use of my own email list. So I, I hope you get the same kind of benefit from the show. We start with the incredibly basic why question. Why should authors have an email list? And then we get into things like how to attract subscribers, how often to email those subscribers, and how... The timing of your emails relates to something called your sender reputation and why you should care about a sender reputation. We also get into why you should assume that most readers will see your email on mobile devices and why you might want to check your formatting several times a year. We get into a lot more as well. Uh, It was a really fun interview for me and educational. A couple of things before we get started today. First, I want to give a shout out to listener... Tasha Giordano. I hope I pronounced that right. I hope it's Tasha and I hope it's Giordano. Tasha posted the following in the AuthorBiz Facebook group last week. I just started listening last week and I'm trying to catch up. Every show is just packed with information. So, a real-time update. Friday, after listening to the keywords episode, I updated my keywords on a dead series under a pen name. This thing has been flatlined for nearly a year and I've never advertised anything. Just by fixing my keywords and tightening my blurbs, my K-E-N-P has soared. I can tell that people have been reading completely through the first three books of this series just over the weekend. I am so excited. And I am so excited that um, Tasha took the time to write and tell me that because I just get excited when people actually get some benefit out of listening to the show and put it into practice. So uh, thank you so much for dropping that into the AuthorBiz Facebook group. The second thing, we're going to start a new how-to series that's basically short, targeted shows with how-to advice for specific topics. You have all sent in so many great ideas that I I realize that a lot of them could be addressed in these shorter how-to type episodes, so that's what I'm going to try and do. First up will be Facebook ads with Michael Cooper, and if all goes according to plan, that show will release sometime this week. All right. Enough of the pre-show. Let's get this show started. My first question to Larissa was, why do authors need an email list?
1: Well, I think, you know, the good part about being an indie author is that, um, you know, we all talk about, oh, you have to have this, you have to have that. Um, but really, you you can run your business however you want. So, you know, why you need an email list, well, you don't have to um, have an e- email list as long as you understand kind of – Where you're, you know, why you're making that choice. But I would say the reason you do need an email list is because it is the the sort of only uh, way you have to connect with readers uh, that's within your control. So, you know, one of my favorite quotes, it's from several years ago, is a, a quote from Russ Grandinetti, who is the, right now he's the senior VP of Kindle content at mm-hmm. Amazon. And there was a New York Times interview he did several years ago where he said, and I, I put this on my wall because it, it spoke to me so much. He said, the only really necessary people in the publishing process now are the writer and the reader. <laughs> and everyone who stands <laughs> between those two has both risk and opportunity." So even amazon as big as they are they know that they are not really the relevant part of, of the situation they're they're looking for the opportunity to be betw- be a bridge between writers and readers you know that's good big for us because amazon has a lot of access access to a lot of readers and a lot of buyers but even amazon understands that this writer and reader relationship is the core, that that no one really needs to be in the middle. So I think that sometimes as authors, we undervalue our our ability and to, to connect with readers and we undervalue our connection um, in that way. And while it's it's good to let Amazon and other platforms and like that be a bridge to help you connect and find new readers, what we really want to make keep control of is that writer-reader relationship ourselves. And one of the ways we do that is writing great books. And outside of books, really the only way we have to do that without relying on someone else is an email list. It's the only way we have to be, you know, keep that direct relationship without letting someone else be in the middle and take advantage of that um, opportunity and without creating risk for ourselves. You know, if you think about, you can connect with fans on Facebook, on Twitter, you know, you can rely on Amazon algorithms. You can even, you know, rely on a blog or RSS feed or website, any of those other platforms. But the only one where you really have complete control is if you have a mailing list, how to reach out to readers and that, that you keep, you, you know, you nurture that relationship and keep control of that list. Um, from that saying. So I, I'd say that's the reason why you need a list is because that's that's your core way of communicating with your fans um, that that you can use as an asset in your business instead of relying on someone else to, to be in the middle there.
0: Okay. And I think that's something that we all intuitively understand, but it's easy to sort of outsource that to Amazon now. And it's it easy is. to even to, to outsource it to BookBub, where people can I don't know. Ha- follow us at BookBub or follow us at Amazon, right. and they will send the email on your behalf when you have a new book. Until they don't, right? Until they don't, right? And it's fine. I mean, th-
1: those are. I think of those as secondary lists. You know, absolutely. Tell people to follow you on Amazon. Tell them to follow you on BookBub. You know, if. If you are active on Facebook or Twitter, absolutely. Those are good secondary lists, and they're good um, sort of ways to, to connect with readers, absolutely. But they're at the end of the day, they're not something that, that you really have much control over. You know, Amazon could decide to cancel their Amazon Follow program altogether and stop sending emails about your new books. BookBub could do the same thing. They could decide, oh, you know, we don't really want to do that anymore, or... We, book bug, you know, with their book bug follows, I think is what they call it. they they could decide to charge you. Mm. Right now, they send it out free, you know, to announce your new releases. But what if next month they say, "Wow, this is really great. It's now going to cost you a dollar per email that we send on your behalf." <laughs> well, <laughs> they could. I don't know. I don't know that they're going to do that, but they could. You know, or Facebook could. You know, we've all been, if you've been a, in, involved in social media for a while, you know, Facebook changes their terms of service and their what de- what they decide to show in the news feed a couple of times a year. You know, they have a big change. Then all of a sudden it used to be, you know, oh, I can connect with my fans, and now, now I have to pay to run ads to connect with my fans. So things change. You know, if, if it's not something – if you're relying on another platform, it's okay to do that, and it's a good way to find readers. As long as you recognize that you are putting yourself at risk, that that platform could change or go away Pretty much any time, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it doesn't really, you know, it, it. if you rely too heavily on those other platforms um, as a as a primary source as opposed to a secondary and something changes, you know, it, just I hope you have a good plan B, you know, <laughs> of, of what to do. Um, and, and, and that's okay. I mean, it, it, if some people want to do that, um, do things that way. And, and that's okay. But I just, I encourage them to have a plan B and, you know, for me and for most of the authors that I work with, I, I recommend that, you know, the, a good plan B is always great, but it's always better to have a, a better plan A, you know, which is to, to keep a, as direct a connection as you can. Um, you know, because, uh, you know, as I said in that quote, even even Amazon understands, you know, that 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 direct connection is is really important. And the other thing, too, if you need another kind of reinforcement of how important the list is, there's a reason why Amazon doesn't share their customer list with us, <laughs> <laughs> because that is wildly valuable to uh-huh. them. You know, that's that's Amazon understands their customer list is one of their biggest assets um, and cu- all that customer data. There's a reason why they don't share it. That's their that's one of their big competitive advantages. So, you know, Amazon protects their list and you should protect yours.
0: All right, that's that is a great. And I am if I didn't have an email list, I would be totally convinced now. But now <laughs> okay. th- my next question would be and I get this question all the time. It's okay, I've got an email list and I've had it for like the last year and I've only got 47 people on there and it's my mom and my dad and my sister and two cousins and 40 people who somehow rather found my list and signed up? How do we get people to sign up for our lists
1: well i think I think um list size is overrated, you know, so I think if you have forty seven people on your list right now, that's great. you know everybody starts with one. If you've started with your your family and your your friends that that's fine. so I would start by saying you know, don't give yourself a lot of anxiety about the size size of your list. And remember that, you know, every list and list source is, is gonna be different. So organic lists, um, you know, are are slower to build, but they're often the very highest quality. So the way you can get people to join your list organically would be, you know, make sure you have a link to your sign up form in the front and the back of every book that you publish. Make and test the link, make sure that it works. Um <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah, I've done that. <laughs> and I would also say make sure the link, you know, again, going back to something that you can control, make sure the link is a link to your website domain, not a link to, you know, I've seen some people use maybe their the default link from their MailChimp um, form. But then if they decide to change, change providers, all those links that are out there running around in the back of books aren't can't be changed. Um, so make the link um, something on your own website to direct to a form that you can, can c- control where people go to, um, and, and that's honestly the, the very best way. But you can also make sure you have a link to that sign up form in your social media bios on Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, you know, wherever you're active. You know, you might even rotate a pinned post through on your social media accounts every once in a while to highlight the, the value of being on your on on your email list in mm-hmm. addition to following you on social media. So I'd say just make sure, you know, and you know, the obvious. Make sure you you can find where to sign up. If someone just goes to your website, make sure that e- that sign up box is easy to see. Um, you know, you can think about using pop ups and, and things like that. I know some people get all anxious about pop ups, but the reason, you know, in modal windows and things like that, the reason all of those different sign up ways to sign up are popular and used frequently is because they do work um so you know you have you have to ask you can't um you can't always assume that readers are going to be so enthusiastic to um is to seek you out and, and hunt for you um so if you are interested in building a a bigger list i would say you know make sure you're you're making your list known. Make sure you're when you're out and about um, and you know, a- online and, and in the real world that it's easy to find how, how to join your list. You know, now if you want to go kind of the uh, uh, a little bit step wider, you can absolutely use services like InstaFreebie um, or do cross promotions or newsletter swaps with other authors and um, things like that. Those just remember that those um, those readers are going to be a little bit different. Then your organic readers, you know, your your organic uh, subscribers well, let, are going to be. Let's break this you know, down a little
0: bit, um, and, and let's okay. let's sort of segment it. So we've got we've got say the the list, the capture form on our website, and we've got links in our books. The people yep. that find us on the website and in our books probably liked what we had to write, and they want to right. know when we have a new book. Um, and right, then, they've probably read – I always think
1: of it as they've read at least one thing of yours. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so they've they've read something
0: and liked it enough to come seek you out. Okay, so that's a pretty valuable segment. And then there might Absolutely. be uh, – we might have a few more books and we might be using the strategy that so many people are using to great effect where you give away a few books or a book or a few books or yeah. short stories or anything. and And that's something, a different right. kind of a list because somebody's getting something for free, but it's from you.
1: Right. Well, and I and I would say it's not necessarily a different – it is a different kind of a list depending on how you use it. Even if you're going to build an organic list, mm-hmm. I still think you should, um, should come up with some kind of incentive to join the list. Okay. The difference could be is that if you think about uh, – if you're interested in building a list of kind of organic fans, well, come up with something – that is interesting to people who've already read your books, which would be maybe a prequel or a back some like deleted scenes or a short story that's related to the series or or something that someone who's beginning to be a fan is going to be more interested in going deeper compared to if you're using, say, Facebook ads or Insta freebie or things and trying to attract completely new readers who haven't read your books yet. Then you might want to use that incentive of here's a free here's a free novel. Here's the free first book in my series, or here's, you know, a bundle of short stories. That's, that's just a, if you just think about the, um, absolutely. You're always going to have more signups if you use an incentive of of some kind. Um, but if you think about you can, uh, what kind of incentive you use, you can use that to attract different types of readers. Um, if that makes sense.
0: No, it, it absolutely does. And then do we keep those segmented in our list somehow?
1: I I recommend doing that. Um, not everybody does it, and you don't have to. It kind of depends on your, uh, you know, how deep you want to go with your your mailing list strategy. But I do think it's useful to think about that. Different lists and different, you know, sources of lists are going to have different expectations from you. If you are sending emails to a list that is primarily, you know, your die-hard fans and your that have come to you organically, well, you can speak to them a lot more intimately, and they're going to be a lot more interested in knowing kind of about you and, and what's going on in your life and how the next book is coming and, and things like that. Compared to if you've built a list of, you know, maybe Facebook you've used Facebook ads to build a list, which is very, you know, very valid strategy and very popular, those people might not care about your family vacation that inspired <laughs> your next book. Mm-hmm. But what they might care about is why should I read this book that I just downloaded? So if you think about where different readers are in their sort of journey with you and their relationship with you and where they're coming into your list. If you segment them and keep them a little bit separate, you can kind of react to those different expectations that, well, a, a fan is going to be a little more interested about me and about my work in progress. A, a ca- more casual reader is really more interested in why should I read this book? Is the book that I just downloaded and is sitting in my huge pile of freebies, <laughs> is it interesting enough for me to take the time to read right now? So I think, you know, that sort of nurture relationship is a little different than, you know, maybe a fan relationship. And I think sometimes what happens is if you don't segment your list and people, you know, a lot of a lot of authors expect Uh, a reader is a reader is a reader. Well, not really. And it's, you know, a subscriber is a subscriber is a subscriber. They're all going to react differently. And there, we talk a lot about list numbers, but those are all individual people. Um, but you know, behind that email address. So I would say, you know, just think about who you're speaking to and, and what they're interested in and, and try to focus on, you know, where they are in their stage of relationship with you, um, in terms of list building, but also in terms of list communication.
0: Okay. Let's, let's talk about Insta InstaFreebie for a minute. You mentioned them, okay. uh, they sort of burst onto the scene a year or so ago and people were just building these massive lists using insta freebie some time has passed do you have any sense of people's success with those uh, quickly grown list uh, by using the the insta freebie service
1: i, I think insta freebie is a great service uh, and i think that it um it's a, a great way to um, manage sort of the kind of author cross promotion where where i think that um and it's some to some some extent it goes back to this idea of expectations of mm-hmm. you know that a lot of people have focused on you know a lot of authors have focused on bigger is always better and that's not always the case. Um, so if you if you know I've seen some people that have built great lists with Insta Freebie highly engaged list mm-hmm. um, and and have great relationships with readers that found them originally through Insta Freebie, but I think that what's happened is those authors either intentionally or instinctively spoke to readers where they where they are, um, and, and nurtured that relationship along. And they and I think if you're careful about what kind of Insta Freebie promotions you participate in? It can be really valuable if you stick with Insta Freebie um, promotions that are related to your books, related to your genre. You know, you can be wildly successful because you know a little bit more about those readers. I think what has happened, and some people have gotten disillusioned with Insta Freebie, is they built these, like you said, these very big lists very rapidly. But it was like, um, you know, they joined, uh, they they just recruited a list of all romance readers instead of thinking about, well, not all romance readers are alike. Some of them like sweet romance, some of them like steamy romance, some of them like new new adult romance, some of them like regency romance. There's a lot of little subgroups in there. And so you get a large group of, oh, I participated in a big romance you know, list building giveaway. Mm-hmm. That should be great for me. Um, but then you end up with maybe only, you know, 10 or 20% of the list that you recruited is actually relevant to you. And you, if you don't build some kind of screen, you know, that's not bad, if You don't, but if you don't build some kind of expectation on your, on your own hand and also a screening process to kind of filter those people out, mm-hmm. the, the ones that are most relevant to you, I think it does end up being a really big list uh, that ends up to be kind of a disappointment. So I, I don't think that's Insta freebies fault by any means. I think they're a, a really good, good service. And they've done a lot of, you know, a lot of good things to, to helping the author community be, you know, aware of all the different ways to to build your list. And it's, it's now kind of the go-to of what I recommend for new authors of, you know, okay, get your list set up, get Mm -hmm. all your organic stuff set up and then go find or, or organize yourself a very tightly focused, um, promotion with some fellow authors uh, around InstaFreebie, um, or there's other similar services that are popping up like that. But, organize a a tightly focused promotion with maybe eight to 10 other authors and and you know, help each other along. I, I think that's uh, one of the things that's great about InstaFreebie, is it has shown a light on the opportunity for authors to work together. You know, to do newsletter swaps, to to, to promote each other's newsletters um, and email lists, and promote each other's books.
0: Okay, uh, thank you. T- now, uh, the, the tightly focused thing I, it makes a lot of sense to me. You mentioned something bigger isn't always better in, in terms of the list, and uh, we had a guest on on the show a few weeks ago, Wayne Stennett. And mm-hmm. the way he manages his list, I was just fascinated by it because he is, he is the opposite of, of what so many people are trying to do, just build a bigger and bigger and bigger list. Wayne wants a fully engaged list of people who want to buy his books. And he has one, doesn't he? And he does. It's not a <laughs> he huge really list. Has fun, yeah. I mean, there are people uh-huh. out there that probably have one book that have a bigger email list than Wayne does. Right. But Wayne's right. email list of, I, don't, I think it's around three thousand. I think he said. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah. when he sends an email out that he has a new book, just that email is enough to get his book into the top two hundred and get the Amazon right. algorithm working for him. So right. I mean that's he 's tightly focused on just that one really tiny segment of people that that want to buy his books and i, I was just fascinated <laughs> by by his thinking. I know you 've had some communication with Wayne. What are your thoughts on 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 Wayne and I the think, way he's built his list
1: i think I think the I think wayne 's list is great. I think Wayne is great and i uh, and i um you know I, I do I teach email strategy and in some ways a lot of the things that Wayne does are completely contrary to what I teach. However, I always use him as an example at the beginning of a class and say, look, there's no one right way to do this. There is, you know, there's your way to do it. And Wayne's way works great for him. He decided to focus on hardcore fans, those diehard fans that love his work and not worry about the rest. Mm -hmm. And he has, over time, been able to build up that dedicated loyalist. The big advantage to that is... I haven't talked to him recently about it, but he has you know, eighty percent open rates and huge click through mm-hmm. rates and you know huge buy rates from his from his relatively small list. Um, you know, when he and I talked about it, you know, briefly b- back and forth, it was a year more ago. His list was around I think fifteen or eighteen hundred. Um, names, and he had that same kind of high percentage. And as his list has grown, I think it shows the the power of that kind of organic list that we've been talking about. And part of the reason his strategy works, I I believe, is because he is so deeply focused on what's in it for the reader. How can he make sure that his readers are taken care of, that that they he builds that relationship and that bond? He has such a strong bond with his list. You know, if you... If you um, subscribe to his list, and and I do, you know, there's things that he does that make me crazy with formatting and, and, you know, the way he – his writing style and all of that. However, it works for him because it fits his personality. It fits – you know, he talks about his boat. He talks about his (laughs) daughter. Mm -hmm. You know, he's – I mean – and he all he manages to tie all of that back in every time he ties that back into the books that he's writing, um, and to what he knows that his you know his his fans probably don't care about his trip to the grocery store, but because he writes in that sea adventure category, they do care about his trips out on his boat. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so so he has has found a way to really build that strong connection, and I I think that's why he's been so successful. Is he has focused on. Where's the, you know, who can I reach? Who can I reach? Who can I connect with? And how can I build a strong connection? You know, if he decided to, you know, run a whole bunch of Facebook ads and change his strategy, he would probably be less, success, less successful with the, the tone and style and content of his emails if he were, were sending that to a colder list. Um, but because he's decided to you know, stays to stay smaller and focused and just really deepen that relationship with the readers. I think that's why his, his approach really works. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a big list, you know, big lists are not bad. Small lists are not bad. It all depends on how you use it. Um, and there's probably a a terrible joke there, but
0: (laughs) yeah, let's, let's not go there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This, you mentioned something and I'm going to go, I'm going to veer away from all the things that we said we were going to talk about. You mentioned the term formatting. I get okay. emails from time to time that are so small that they're unreadable on my phone. So I have right. to expand them so that I can read them. And then I get, up, right. I get emails from other people, and the text is the perfect size. They're readable. It's easy. Yep. It's spaced properly. What What's the right way? What's the wrong way? And okay, how can well, we be sure we're doing it right?
1: Then hold on a second, and I'll give you some numbers here. Let me pull them off. I have to pull them up here because we didn't plan on talking about this, but this will knock your socks off. Okay. So the mobile, I think mobile email is one of the most important and overlooked um, details of of you know, a lot among all author author mailing lists. And there's a number, some numbers here from a company called uh, Litmus, which is a big email tracking firm. They do a quarterly kind of state of email report. So this is email across the board, not just amongst readers and authors. Mm-hmm. But if you look at mobile open rates, um, meaning opening an email on a mobile device, whether that's a phone or a tablet or you know iPhone, whatever, some kind of not desktop. Mm-hmm. Mobile opens have grown 180% in the last three years, and as of March, we've now tipped over that the majority of emails are being opened on a mobile device at least once. F- You're 54%. Me. Wow. No. Now, no. now a lot of people will open on mobile and then read again later on desktop. Which if you see, if you ever look in your stats, depending on your provider, and you see, why is everybody opening this three or four times? Well, that's partly, some of it is like a tracking mm-hmm. flaw, but it's also because, you know, and if you think about your own behavior, I do, I skim through and I check email, you know, check my email on my phone. I delete the stuff that's not interesting, and I, then I deal with some things later when I get back to my desk, right? Mm-hmm. But. of Gmail users now access their accounts on mobile. So if your list is heavy in Gmail, you absolutely need to be worried about how it looks on mobile. And the reason why, and here's the numbers that killed me, 71.6% of consumers will delete emails if they don't look good on mobile. 45% of consumers have unsubscribed from emails only because they didn't look good on their smartphone. Hmm. Thirty-four percent of consumers have marked an email as spam only because it didn't look good on their smartphone. Ouch! <laughs> ouch is right. I know. <laughs> big oh, ouch. <laughs> so, uh, so just what you said, you know, I I think the formatting thing is a big deal. Um, you know, the the easy way to deal with that is to for for starters test. You know, absolutely. You know, a lot of people are used to before they when they put together they they 'll send themselves a test message, but usually they 're sitting at their desk so pick up your phone read the email on your phone or your tablet whatever mobile devices you have at your disposal mm-hmm. start there um, and and make sure it looks okay you know you also I would go through and you know mo- almost all of the providers I, I think all the providers now have what would be called mobile friendly email templates use one of those because there's all kinds of complicated coding that goes on in the background of how an email is formatted to make sure that it looks good on the 50 bazillion different devices. Cause they all interpret that code mm-hmm. differently. It's actually a whole very complex kind of um, discipline of, of, mobile email formatting, but it, do things like that. And you can also do things as simple as um, make sure your emails are in a single column. Um, because if you have multi-column layouts, um, sometimes those get broken in an email or, or they don't scale properly things like you mentioned that the fonts are too small mm-hmm. um, and too hard to read use a little bit larger font than you need to um then you than it seems like you need to it's going to look really huge on your desktop what's, until you What's get a good YouTube font
0: it. size to use? I've been using I, 16 I think for I would
1: know. bump it up to at least, I like to use at least 18 okay. and sometimes 20 if you're 20? um if you wow. Yes, I know the first time I started doing it, it looked really weird. But if you read a 20, a 20, um, 20 point font size on a small device on a phone, it's much easier to read. Um, so, you know, and I think, uh, either 18 or 20, I can't remember, used to be iPhone's default size, um, which might be depending on your device might be why you, you haven't noticed it, but I would pick a, a slightly larger font size than you think, especially if your readership is older, um, which, you know, I. My my vision is declining as I age, of course, like all of ours do. And so now I'm like, dang it, I can't read that, you know? So mm-hmm. so I, if, if your readership is older, bump up even a little higher than you think you need to. Do things like um, beware of the wall of text. You know, if you have long, long paragraphs that on a small phone, it's just going to look like a big wall of text you know, break up those paragraphs into just a few lines, um, you know, don't worry so much about the grammar, worry about how, how readable it's going to be. Um, and be careful of things like using a ton of images or images that are too large and that mm-hmm. don't scale very well. Um, so, you know, just I, I, at this point, test on mobile first, and then see how it's going to look on the desktop, because if it looks good on mobile, it's probably going to be fine on the desktop. Um, and, and think about it in terms of, you know. The large, A large majority of your your subscribers and your readers are probably reading on a mobile device first, even if they come back and read it later to buy – to click the buy link um, and, and buy your book, which we hope they're doing. Um, but they're, they're – at the very least, they're – you don't make it hard for them.
0: Okay, and um, I know that some of you people yeah. out there listening, you people. <laughs> um, so, so I subscribe to a ton of author email lists, and I know I subscribe to a lot of lists of, of people that listen to this show. And somewhere between fifteen and twenty percent of the emails that I get from authors are formatted in such a way that I wouldn't even think was possible in in twenty seventeen. So it, it's like basically you have to scroll back and forth to read all the text. It doesn't squish up on right. the phone so that you can read it. Right, and so I it suspect. Wrap
1: correctly, yeah.
0: Right, I suspect there are people out there that set up their list and set up their templates four years ago, five years ago, and it just yep. works. So they're going with it. And if that's you, don't yeah, do this. double check. Take and I would
1: say even even if you do it now, I, I would go through and check all of your templates, you know, at least two, maybe three times a year because even as recently, you know, like Gmail is the, the biggest one that, that people tend to watch. But mm-hmm. in, I think it was January or February, earlier this year, Gmail changed how the code is rendered in the gmail client on a, on mobile devices oh. so it if you probably didn't notice if i mean but if you're a an email programmer kind of person mm-hmm. there's all kinds of things that had to happen on the back end to continue to make those um emails easy to read um and, and easy to easy to format so code and formats and templates and all that it does change over time as different devices come out and different um, email rendering capabilities change and things like that. So if you have not checked your templates in a while, I would say put that on your calendar even after you check your templates and check that everything's working you know revisit that you know once or twice a year and 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 make sure that you're still, up to speed.
0: Well, I am so happy that you used the word formatting, and we were able to veer off in that direction because I think that, that was some really useful information. Thank you. Um, let's, yeah, you're welcome. All right, let's let's get back to what we intended to talk about. And, and the next thing on our list is response rates. No, oh, I'm sorry. The next thing on our list is when do we send the messages, and why do we send them? Is there is there do we send them just when we have a new book? Do we send them? Every other day. What's what's the best <laughs> practice? Is there a best practice?
1: Well, I I think the best practice is send as often as you you can send a relevant content to your reader. So nobody nobody ever likes that answer when I say it, but I think most authors don't mail often enough, and there are a couple of reasons that, reasons why there's there's a technical reason why you probably want to mail more often, and there's a, a human reason why you probably want to mail more often. Now the technical reason is something called sender reputation which if depending on how long you've been around it used to be that spam and and how Gmail and Yahoo and Hotmail and all of that used to be you know long time ago that that they had very simple rules about how to identify spam that were basically content-based, which is why, you know, if you've been around a while, you know that, you know, you don't want to use all caps in a subject line. And if you use the word free too many times, it'll, you know, mm-hmm. or or make money now, things like that. Those all trigger spam folders, um, spam filters. But as, you know, the internet evolved and, and email evolved and all of us got more sophisticated, these more sophisticated algorithms have have taken place and and what now we kind of lump them all under the term of sender reputation, which is the way to get to the inbox instead of the spam folder is the behavior of how people interact with your emails. So sender reputation is, it's different. You know, nobody, it's kind of like the Amazon algorithm. Nobody knows it's not like an exact science, (laughs) you know, we can all guess, but what we do know is that um, how readers interact with your emails adds to your sender reputation score and your sender reputation score is going to be things like, do how, you know, do readers open your email? Do they click on the links? Do they, um, do they read it right away when it hits the inbox or do they set it aside to read for later? Do they delete it without reading, but not unsubscribe? You know, obviously spam complaints factor into that. And, and these email providers are looking at sender reputation based on all kinds of all kinds of factors and it's both on an individual subscriber level but also on a list level so they look at you know for you know author A to reader B, you know, where should we put this? Is this email that they're sending likely to be relevant? If yes, we'll put it in the inbox. If maybe, we'll put it in the promotions tab. If no, it might go to the spam folder. You know, it's a little more complicated than that, but Mm -hmm. uh, I hope hope that explains. But but then on a list level, what they're looking at is when this person sends, when this author sends an email, overall, Do people engage with this email? Are they excited do they want to receive it? Or overall, do people not engage with this email? In which case you're more likely to go to you know, they're they're gonna say, Oh, your center reputation is not so great, so we're gonna we're going to skew a little bit more likely towards uh, the spam folder, or in some cases just not delivering at all. But those sender reputation algorithms are basically a rolling average of your your behavior and, and your sending behavior, but they're a rolling average over 30 days. So if you are not mailing at least every month, you're always starting from zero with a sender reputation. You never have enough frequency to build up goodwill with all the little technical algorithms that help decide how your email get delivered and where it goes. So, I I, I would say is a, a best practice in a and a rule. Always send it send it every 30 days as as much as you can. Um, you know, I I just had a a, a time period where I didn't send, you know, to one of my lists for almost 90 days, you know, uh, things happen, life happens. Mm-hmm. But so now that I'm remailing that list again, I'm expecting it's going to take a while for that list to be rehabilitated. It's not lost. It's not a disaster. Um, it, but if you are interested in getting to the inbox and, you know, just take, take care of that sender reputation. Now, the reason why Gmail and Yahoo and all of these, um, all of these companies switch to this sort of behavioral analysis of email is because of the same, the second reason why you want to send more frequently the human side is it's just hard for people to remember you. Um, we're all busy. We all have things going on. If you don't have someone who you already have a relationship with and they don't hear from you very often, they're more likely to mark you as spam only because they don't remember signing up. It's no longer of interest to them. They just, they don't, uh, you know it's it's like the the friend that you know your friend from college that you only hear from you know once every 5 years well you're going to you know that's not you you kind of go oh that's nice and you sort of catch up but you never really you know build a relationship with that person um at least you know at, at, after after the fact it's it's the people that you hear from regularly who you know are the ones that that stay on your radar and and kind of rise to top of mind and and that you think about
0: a, a yeah. member of the Author Biz Facebook group and, and an author, Susie O'Connell, um, went through a process of reconfirming her email list. And I know this is a big topic and we don't have time to really dig into it. Mm-hmm. But in general, is it a good idea to maintain your email list and, and sort of purge inactive people or, or ask people every so often, hey, do you really want to be on the list? Is, does it, is it important yeah. to do that for it, the reasons imp- that you just described?
1: Right. It it is important to keep some kind of list health. The reason being that, you know, if if you're mailing to, let's say, a thousand people, just to keep the math simple, Mm -hmm. if you're mailing to a thousand people and over time, fewer and fewer of those people open the emails, Gmail or, or whoever is going to see, oh, well, this content must be less interesting. They don't have a way to interpret we know what that is other than to see that your um, responsiveness, your reputation among the people you're sending to is declining. So if you don't... Um, periodically kind of do do some things to take care of that list health and purge those people who are maybe less interested in your percentages go down and it ends up hurting your list overall the tricky part is that i i see often some people will just say oh you know this person hasn't opened my email in the last you know six months so i'm just going to delete them well don't do that because open rates are not perfect um there's a lot of reasons why an open rate might not have gotten re- recorded if they opened it in Outlook or phones you know we talked about the importance of mobile and mm-hmm. A lot of mobile devices, Android is the worst. Just don't record open rates um, because of the the way the technology of all that works. They, you know, they're just inaccurate um, in in recording o- open rates. So I do think it's important to have some kind of system in place that periodically you say, hey, you know, I noticed that you might not be interested, but you know, these technical things are are, are sometimes inaccurate. So I don't want to be rude and delete you, <laughs> but you know, could you click on this if you still want to receive these? Or you might say. You know what? Um, you know, if you only ever want to receive my new releases, even though that's only twice a year, let me know and I'll stop sending you these weekly or bi-weekly emails and I'll put you on this other list over here. Now, the the sender, that might seem to conflict with sender reputation, but what you have to remember is sender reputation is your list overall. So, it coming cut the list health overall coming from your sending address, your email address. Mm-hmm. If you're sending if you're using things like Autoresponders, and which I'm a, a big advocate of, as my core training is about auto, using autoresponders. Uh-huh. Part of the reason is if you have steady list, a steady um, list growth, and you have steady autoresponders going out, you're always maintaining that um, sending. Whether even if you don't send a broadcast for 30 days, as long as you have new people coming into your list and an extended autoresponder sequence that's going out, you actually are sending email, um, just not in a big broadcast at one time. All right, and we. I got, side tra- I got we, sidetracked there, but no, the no, that was part, you know, Yeah, yeah, the important part is that you know, yes, you do need to, to to take some care to to maintain the health of your list from time to time, but just you know, don't take a hatchet to it um, indiscriminately.
0: We should, we should have another conversation just about autoresponders because I, I, that's a fascinating topic, and there, there are some specific things that I'm sure you teach that would be useful uh, to everybody yeah. here. And really a, a great way for people to learn more about some of the things you teach is to sign up for your mailing list, right?
1: Right, right. Yes, it's uh, fictioninsidersclub.com. dot com. It's not really a club. It's just the name of the newsletter. I, I misnamed it, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it's <laughs> people ask me that all the time. Where? How do I get into the club? Well, there's not one. It's not a Facebook group or anything like that. It's a list. It's an it's the name of the newsletter, um, name of the list. So, um, but fictioninsidersclub.com dot com is where you can can sign up, and it's um, we kind of talk about you know publishing strategy, a lot of mailing list strategy because that's where my background is, mm-hmm. but um a lot of really you know how to how to make sense of your publishing business
0: okay so that's, i just i didn't want to skip over because you said automation and i know people are saying okay steve ask her a lot of automation <laughs> questions and we just don't have <laughs> enough talk, time yeah
1: that's a that's a huge topic Yeah, too. but, but we can as have as another as conversation as about list that health and yeah list health and reengagement is a big topic yeah. as well so.
0: okay so let's um what what's good for open rates and click rates how do we know if our if our list is not healthy you
1: know, I, I get asked that question all the time, and there's just not one good answer. Um, so, I, but as a as a way to give you a, a broad kind of uh, benchmark, um, it, you know, it's going to depend in in large degree on your list source and how you've engaged with the list in the past. So if it's a healthy list like Wayne has, it's mm-hmm. very, it's an organic fan base list that he mails very regularly because he's very disciplined about mailing every two weeks, um, you know, uh, around that time, or I think he does every two weeks now. I don't, I don't know that for sure, but if, if you're mailing regularly and it's a fan base list, I would say you, you know, are looking for open rates, you know, in the 60, 70% or more, but it's going to be very high because those readers know to expect good things from your emails and they want them. Um if it's a on the opposite end of the scale, if it's maybe a, a list that you built by giving away a free book to a, a Legion ad in Facebook or things, well that's going to be a lot lower. They don't know you yet. They don't even know if they like your books. So it might be down in the you know 20 25, 30%. You know, the the average across media and um, kind of publishing entities is that open rates should be around 22%. I've found that fiction lists tend to be much higher than that. Um, you know, but I, I try to look for a healthy list, depending on the source, it's going to have anywhere from, you know, 35 to 65% open rates. And click rates, I like to see them, you know, in the, you know, 15 to 25%, but I, it's not uncommon to see lists depending on how you've been engaging with that list and, and what kind of calls to action you have in your email. You're going to have, you know, click rates of maybe five, 10%. You know, I, I have some lists that depending on what you're asking, when you, when you want that buy my book thing, I'd like to see click rates that in the, you know, Forty to fifty percent of the of the list is going to click and and op- it, and and click through to buy, but you know that all depends on what you're sending and and how often you're sending and how you're engaging with those and um, with those readers and where they came from. So there's not really a, a one size fits all answer of this is healthy for a list. This is not. It, it there's so many factors that it depends on. It's it's just hard to say it. You know, I, as a general rule, if you want sort of a blanket rule of thumb. If you are seeing open rates below twenty five percent and click through rates below five percent, um, call me. <laughs> <laughs> <You> know, so, <laughs> you know, okay. so, yeah, I mean uh, that that might be that's kind of a wake up call to say, hey, wait, maybe I'm not treating this list quite in the way
0: that um,
1: I, I could be.
0: Okay, let's uh, let's wrap up by offering advice for two different groups of people. Let's say there's someone out there listening that is new. They are – they're the person with the, the 47 people on their email list, and their first book is coming out in six weeks. What advice would you okay. give them?
1: Um So let's say, let's assume, you know, first advice if you're new is make sure you set up your list (laughs) Yes. Um, and and have your list set up. And I I would say uh, next advice is to don't be, and this is kind of the same advice for both groups actually, but for different reasons, don't be afraid to mail. And just because you have 47 people on your list and not 4,700 people, the one subscriber that you're mailing to, they don't know that they're the only, they could be the only person on your list. They don't know. All they know is they signed up for your list to hear from you. So make sure they hear from you. Even if you only have one person on your list, mail as if you have a thousand. Um, and pra- but the good thing about that, when you're just getting started, is to de- you develop your own style of engaging, your your own rhythm, your own personality, your, your email personality and way of communicating. And you, it's it's a lot lower risk when it's you know 47 people compared to 4700. <laughs> so it's okay. Mm-hmm. But I would say, you know, just go ahead and mail. Don't don't say I I, sometimes I will talk to new authors and say, oh, I haven't sent out a mailing because I only have 100 people on my list. Well, those hundred people don't know, and if you, you know, if you, if they signed up for your list and then don't hear from you, well, that's just kind of rude, you know. <laughs> so just make sure that you are nurturing the readers that you have, and and mail to the readers that you do have, and you know, even as as the example we talked about with Wayne, uh, uh, Wayne dinner list. You don't need a big list necessarily to make a big impact. So go ahead and mail. Talk to those readers as, as if you know. You should always mail, even if you have tens of thousands of people on your list, always send your emails as if you're speaking to one person. And when you're new and when you're small, if you're only speaking to one person, that's okay. So mail anyway.
0: Okay. Would you have slightly different advice or or a different type of advice for uh, someone who's more of a veteran author? They've got several books out and and maybe a few thousand people on their email list.
1: I I would say if you have a larger list or, or several books out, the advice to some extent is still the same, is that um, I would... I would consider, and this is a little bit of a blanket statement, you can probably mail or mail more often than you think you can. And reason being that, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll talk with established authors who, you know, only mail when they have a new release and nothing in between there. And then they wonder why over time they're, um, they don't get a lot of traction from their list. Well, if you just pop up out of the blue um, and, and only mail about your new book, you know, the I know authors are worried about sending spam, but basically you're popping up and saying, buy my stuff and then you go away and you never add any other value. So consider mailing more often if you're more established. And if you have a backlist um, and several books available, that's a great opportunity because you always have more books to talk about. Um, So I, I would say it's to some extent, it's the same thing. Subscribers signed up to hear from you. So make sure they hear from you. And if you want to sell more books from your list, mail more often and ask people to buy, remind people that your books exist you know remind people that on your mailing list that you have books to buy um, and you can't it, it's really hard to do that and to to make your list a, a valuable asset and a, a, a profit source for your business if you don't use it um, so I would say for for veteran authors and for established authors you know I don't know your publishing schedule I don't know how frequently you're mailing now but I can guess that you probably could mail more often than you think you can.
0: All right. Well, Larissa Reynolds, th- this has been fantastic. And I hope you will come back to talk about automation at some point in the future. Tell sure. us again where we can find you and sign up for your email list.
1: It's fictioninsidersclub.com. And I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes and, and things like that. But I yeah, you can, Absolutely. you can sign up for the list there and um, jump on and, and just kind of see what, what fun is to be had.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today. You're so welcome. And thank you for listening out there. As always, we will have the show notes with links to the things we mentioned, including uh, Larissa's website and the address for the mailing list. And you can find all that at theauthorbiz.com. Thank you for listening. We will be back again next Monday.